Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. This is a very special episode of the CMO Podcast. Our guests today are two former Procter & Gamble leaders, Chip Berg and Janet Reed. Both had exceptional careers at P&G, but are best known for what they did after P&G. I have known them both for decades. We began our careers at P&G at roughly the same time. Janet began her career at P&G in R&D and later transferred to marketing. Janet left P&G to found Global Innovations, a consulting firm focused on organizational excellence and talent management built on a platform of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Janet is currently the CEO of BRBS World LLC, a private management consulting consortium. My second guest, Chip Berg, is the president and chief executive officer of Levi Strauss & Company, a nearly $6 billion apparel enterprise. Chip is also the non-executive chairman of the board at HP Inc. Chip spent 28 years at P&G with his last role as group president for Global Mail Grooming, looking over Gillette and the Old Spice franchises. Our conversation today will focus on leadership. We will discuss the impact that a former chairman and CEO of P&G, John Smale, had on each one of us. John Smale is widely seen as one of the greatest CEOs in P&G's history, and indeed, one of the greatest CEOs ever. The catalyst for this episode is a new book about John Smale, titled, Here Forever, The Timeless Impact of John Smale on Procter & Gamble, General Motors, and the Purpose and Practice of Business. This episode is full of gratitude, and it's only appropriate we release it in the season of Thanksgiving. Here is my conversation with Janet and Chip. Welcome, Janet and Chip, to this special CEO edition of the CMO Podcast. We three baby boomers know each other. We started a PNG about the same time. And when we joined, John Smale was the CEO, many, many levels above us. Way back, and I hate to say it, I think it was the 80s. <laughs> I joined in 83. So, Janet, why don't we start with you? Your first recollection of John. Or Mr. Smale back then, right? Yeah, Mr. Smale. (laughs) I actually joined in 1980, so it was the year before he became Uh CEO. So he became CEO in uh, 81, 
And um, my first recollection is really a, a remarkable encounter. So my manager at that time, Ed Rico, oh had gosh. asked me, you remember Ed Rico? Yeah, I sure do. I'm, I'm actually <laughs> going to see him next week. So he was my boss for a while, too. <laughs> He's been everybody's boss. We'll do another show about Ed. <laughs> and uh, he invited me to um, a National Conference of Christians and Jews dinner. And I'm, believe it or not, I'm an introvert, but I said, oh, you know, I'll go anyway. Got there and the table uh, was, it was just one PNG table. And I saw John Smale's name card and it was right next to mine. And, you know, I about had three heart attacks and a stroke, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, uh, but I'm a researcher. So I had researched him for a long time. So I knew where he was born. I knew, you know, the whole thing. Never thought I would encounter him. So there we sat. And he said, well, tell me about you. So I gave him my name and so forth. But I knew we had some connections. So, you know, I said, well, you know, my mother was born in Canada in Montreal and, and you too as well. And you've been on the United Negro College Fund board for many years. And my father was a UNCF college president. And we just connected. Next day, he called Edward Go and said, I want to move her from product development into marketing. I'm going to mentor her. Wow. I did have three heart attacks and a stroke. You know, that was just so remarkable. So you at that time were in product development at, at an entry level, basically, right? Yeah, I was um, actually then I was about I was about five years in, but okay. you know, for P in P and G years, that's, that's still that's entry an entry level. level. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's amazing. So you moved over into marketing, and where did you start in marketing? In uh, food and beverage at the time, and uh, and that was pretty amazing too, uh, because you know I've got a PhD in bioinorganic chemistry. I've never taken a business course in life, and I was there with all these newly minted MBAs. MBAs from all these great schools. Mm -hmm. And it was really a, a mind twister, you know, for me, I had to learn a lot in a short time. But then I brought experience that the uh, that my colleagues didn't have. So it was it was a great experiment in thinking diversity. What brand did you start on, Janet, when you moved into marketing? Do you remember when we had Hires Root Beer and yeah. Orange Crush? Yeah, I sure do. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so, so that's where it started. And then uh, from there, it was, do you remember Citrus Hill? Yes, Our of real, right, juice, Absolutely. Yeah. Which was losing money like crazy. And then it became Sunny Delight. So yeah. I wound up being brand manager of uh, Sunny Delight. Wow. All right, Chip, your first recollection of John Smale, John G. Smale. Well, I, I can't come anywhere close to Janet's story, I'm afraid to say. Um, and we're all Food and Bev alumni. Yes, uh, right. Janet and I were actually, we worked together when she was in product development. Um, and I started my career in the old flop and slop, actually. Flop and slop was the food service business, right? Yes, <laughs> flop, flop and slop, the food service and lodging products division. And uh, then later moved over to Duncan Hines on the, you know, the retail food and beverage business. And, you know, our offices were right down the hall from one another. And I think I spent my first 13 years in food and beverage and an incredible place to begin my career journey. 
So my my first real uh, memory of John Smale, and I'm sure I had seen him at an annual meeting probably once or twice before, but I was a brand manager in food service and lodging products. Um, and Don Campbell at the time was the general manager of Flop and Slop. I was running all of our shortening and oil business, which was the, the biggest business, I think, in, in the division at the time. And um, Don invited me to go to the strategy review with Smell. So it was my very first trip to the, the 11th floor. I remember being, you know, my knees were knocking. This is where the executives all sat back in the day. Yeah. In the boardroom, you know, oak paneled, you know, massively long boardroom table. I, of course, was sitting in the bleacher seat. Um, <laughs> I had also done a little bit of homework on Smale at the time and, you know, knew enough about his, at least his P&G career. I realized after the time, and, and in fact, in reading the book, it really did come back to me that I was there for a reason. You know, at that point in time, I had been identified as a high potential candidate. And I am sure that Smale told Campbell, I want you to bring some of your top people. And uh, I don't remember if I got asked a question or if I said a word. I mean, literally the whole meeting, I was like, what am I going to do if he <laughs> asked me a question? <laughs> I just remember sitting there, you know, it, I, I was in awe. I, I guess that's the, the word that I was, I was in awe of, first of all, the fact that he was spending 90 minutes or two hours on this business that, you know, it was an obscure business at, at P&G. Let's, let's admit it. Right. And, um, it was not really a, a, a core part of the company's business or strategic in, in that sense. And yet here he was having read all of the materials, prepared for the meeting, asking good, deep, insightful questions. He was really, really focused on the brands, the connection to the retail brands to the extent that we had, you know, retail brand parents, if you will. So like on Folgers Coffee, what are we doing to to drive connections mm -hmm. with the retail business? I'll never forget it. It was it was definitely a moment. And as as we were all leaving, he came around and shook everybody's hand and said, thank you for being here. It's just it was remarkable. Yeah, I could tell you my story uh, and I will very, very quickly. Two, two levels above me quit. So Crispin Davis and Jurgen Hintz left the company around the same time. And I was the GIF brand manager and we were having a strategy meeting. So I had to present to Smale. And I was shaking in my boots. I was so prepared. I had my fact books, my data, my plans for the future, my, my plans with R&D, with the, with the agency. I was so ready to go to talk about the future and how we're going to build shares, seize competitive advantage. He walks in. He had a cup of tea. He didn't sit down because his back was hurting. So he leaned against the wall and I was ready to go. And he didn't look at the book. He didn't look at the material. He just looked at me and said, uh, it's nice to meet you. I'd like to start the meeting with how did you do versus what you told us you would do last year at this time. And I wasn't in the meeting last year at this time. And, <laughs> and so it was, I, it was, whoa. And so he, you know, he was asking about accountability and did I think about the past as I was planning for the future? And so it was a great question. And uh, I can't even remember how I answered it, but uh, but he was fully engaged for two hours and just we're going to talk about how he asked questions later, but he just asked such good questions. So anyway, we're here to talk about John Smale and uh, and we're already there. 
There's this new book about him, which is in the show notes. You are both in this book about John Smale. And I recently read it in one sitting before this interview. And I have to tell you, I was quite moved by it on many levels. So I'd like you to both start this conversation with how did that book make you feel and why? So the book, you know, book was uh, long in process. So I think, you know, it was was started, I don't know, four or five years ago. I can't even remember now. That's right. When it was finally finished and, you know, I'd read some of the, you know, earlier versions of it. But when it was finally finished, uh, I too sat down and, and read it in one sitting. And it was just a remarkable walk back down memory lane. But also, I thought, and Chip may be in the same place, that the current PNGers and the, you know, the ones who've been uh, in the company after John Smell was there, I just wish that they would read it because the lessons that, uh, that he taught all of us uh, during his time are eternal lessons. And one of those lessons is how he made you feel. You know, he made you feel so special. And uh, so when I read the book again, it rekindled those feelings. You know, just a remarkable leader who, you know, when you worked with him, just as you described, part of it was transactional. You know, he would ask you questions and, you know, you give him answers. Um, but a good part of it was transformational. You know, you became a better person as a result of your interactions with him. Chip, how to make you feel? Yeah, I um, also saw this in manuscript form um, probably about a little bit, about a year ago, I guess. It was a fairly complete manuscript. I read the first chapter and then I skipped and read the last chapter. <laughs> and then I went back and read the whole thing. I wanted to see how the, how the movie ended, if you will. But, uh, and then I went back and read the whole thing. And I, when I finally got a hard copy of the book um, a couple of, I guess, about a month ago, um, I sat down and read it in, in one go, just like you did, Jim. And um, uh, since he was kind of way above us and I had very, very little direct interaction with him, um, I, I distinctly remember when he came back to visit with the GLC when we named the uh, auditorium and the PNG Towers after him, and he was quite frail at that point in time. And for our listeners, the GLC is the Global Leadership Council. It's the senior leaders at PNG. So about 200, 250 of us and everybody stood in line to say hello to him. And he had to be exhausted doing that. And he made each person feel really, really special. But what struck me um, in, in reading the book again is how much of his DNA actually flows through me. I mean, it is it. I, I can honestly say that I am the CEO that I am. I am the leader today that I am in large part because of who he was and how he led. And I worked for people who did work for him directly through the years. And his way of leading got passed down literally through the generations at P&G. Um, you know, his 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 commitment to people. And as Janet said, he always made you feel special. Um, his commitment to 
empowering people that he believed in and, you know, set a big goal and go make it happen. Um, his ability to think long term. And, um, you know, I love the story in the, in the book about, um, the Richardson Vicks acquisition, you know, on the phone with the banks and like the banks are like, for an extra buck, you own it. And, mm-hmm. and he's like, okay, we're going to pay an extra dollar a share. I don't know how much, I mean, it was a billion dollars. I look back at that now and go, that was extraordinarily transformational for the company. And despite a lot of people in the room saying we're already overpaying, he's like, we're in for another dollar a share. And, and it transformed P&G. It put us on the map in Asia, put us on the map with brands like Olay and Pantene. That ability to think long term. And I guess the last thing that really struck me is he understood the notion of stakeholder capitalism long before it was a buzzword. Yeah. I mean, his commitment to Cincinnati, he realized for us, for P&G, to be a great company, to attract great talent, Cincinnati had to be a great city. And he invested the time, his own time, to give back to the, to the city. And, you know, he made an incredible mark on the city as well. So he was way ahead of his time. You know, you are both CEOs and I suspect you both want to feel like you're making an impact that will be felt way beyond your time in a role. What was it about this man that did make such an impact on so many people years after he worked with them and and frankly, even after he passed away from this world? So, Janet, what is it about him that we could all learn from? We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think uh, uh, Chip said it, you know, about investing in people. He, uh, he had an amazing ability to spot talent and, um, and have that talent believe in their potential, even if the talent didn't see it at that point, you know. So, uh, another way to say it is it, he was able to spot raw talent and then develop it. And I think that is something that PNG has always been pretty good at doing, but he took it to the next level. So, you know, as a CEO, being able to spot talent when it's nascent, you know, and then build it and watch it grow is an amazing thing. And uh, Chip mentioned this as well. You know, his 
his impact was not just in P&G or General Motors. I mean, he invested in communities. And, you know, as I said before, he was there at a National Conference of Christians and Jews dinner. This is a local branch of the National Council mm-hmm. of Christians. You know, and there he is, you know, CEO of a multinational, multi-billion dollar company sitting there eating dinner because it was in Cincinnati. Um, so that, uh, as a CEO, realizing that everywhere our people are, they also have to invest in the communities because that matters. And that was straight from John Smale. Chip, please build on that, as we used to say at PNG. I think um, what makes John Smale such a remarkable leader is, you know, it wasn't just what he accomplished as a CEO, um, you know, amazing, incredible business results, right? But it was how he accomplished it. Um, and I think that's that's what sticks with me is he was a man of integrity. He was a man of courage. He wasn't afraid to make the hard decision. Um, but, you know, back to the people point, you know, his biggest legacy has to be the, the legacy of talent that he left his fingerprints all over, you know, and he just kind of passed it. It was from John Smale to Ed Arts to John Pepper. And, and you know, that legacy of senior leadership at P&G, and it's not like they're clones of him. I mean, Ed Arts and John Smale were very, very different. And Ed Arts and John Pepper were very, very different. But but they all believed in doing the right thing and, um, you know, making the tough decisions. And they were all about winning in the marketplace, too. But, you know, it all always came back to developing the best people, investing in people, investing in talent. Chip, you talked about the RVI story as being meaningful in the book, but I'd like you to both step back and speak to what for you was the most meaningful story in the book. Uh, Mine was a very personal story in the book about one of his assistants who was unmarried and was pregnant and how he supported her. To me, that was, you know, it it, uh, that says everything about him. So, Janet, the most meaningful story in the book for you. Yeah, I think RVI is is a great example of of his business sense. And um, I must say, I think. Uh, for me, you know, part of the story about our interactions was very meaningful uh, to me because it was uh, different than most in that uh, he and I did have some business conversations, but just about every two or three months, he would invite me up to that hallowed, you know, 11th floor that we just talked about. And uh, and the executive assistants, as, as you all remember, would sit out in front in these, you know, with these desks and they'd hit some kind of magic button under the desk <laughs> and the door, you know, like the Wizard of Oz yes, or something, was. you know. Uh, <laughs> the cone the of silence would drop. <laughs> yeah. And there I was, you know, I, we're so different in so many ways. You know, I'm an African-American female. He's different, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'd come in there and we'd just sit down and talk. So he would ask me from time to time about business and and so forth. But he spent a lot of time telling me what's going on in Europe, what's going on in Asia. And it's just the two of us talking. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just remarkable. And then 
what I didn't know, you know, was that he was going to leave as CEO. Um, I had no knowledge of that, of course. So one of those times, the doors flew open, I go in, and it's him. But also, there's another person who I didn't know sitting there, and he introduced me, and it was John Pepper. And what he was doing, what John Smale was doing, was setting me up with my next mentor so that the there would be, you know, continuity in my development. Why he did that is because he is the kind of man he is. And, you know, it's not directly answering your question there, Jim. No, it's a great story. I, I'm just Jack. saying it's just, you know, um, uh, that just hit me. And that threads all through the book, you know, when, when uh, referring to his interactions with people. You know, he just cared deeply about people and could look around the corner and see what people needed. And for our listeners, if you don't know, John Pepper eventually became the chairman and CEO of P&G. And John Smale at that time probably knew that. Um, I also love the story about him as uh, chairman of General Motors, and that's worth reading. Um, I think he kind of single-handedly redefined what the role of boards of directors are in this country. And, you know, as the chair, when the company was underperforming, how he held the management team and the CEO directly accountable for that and ultimately wound up, um, you know, driving the CEO out. And, and, and I think that was really the beginning of a wake up call to corporate America that boards are no longer going to be just the friends of the CEO, but you know, corporate boards have responsibility. I love the story about Latin America. Um, you know, at one point in time, uh, the Latin American business was headquartered in Cincinnati, which, you know, kind of believe in one of those believe it or not type of things. And Jorge Montoya was put in charge of it. And it was a small business, not making a lot of money. And Smale saw the potential there and saw the potential in Montoya and said, I want you to build this business. And, you know, so Montoya moved the team down to Latin America, down to Caracas. And I think it was on Smale's, maybe his first visit down to Caracas. Uh, and the business was still, you know, kind of emerging, I guess, for lack of a better word. I don't think it was making a lot of money. But but Smale saw the potential and, and, and said to Montoya, you're going to need to build a headquarters here. And Montoya, you know, according to the book, was just stunned by the fact that at that early stage, Smale was showing so much confidence in, in him and in the team and in the potential of the Latin America business. And I think, you know, coming back to just his impact on people, you know, just I, I kind of thought to myself when I read that, what if he had gone down there and said, you know, you're not making enough money right now and, you know, beat the team up a little bit and try a little bit harder. But instead, he he kind of held this, dangled the carrot out that this is going great and 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 someday we're going to need to build a headquarters here. And, and I just think it just inspired the team. Now, business in Latin America is a big part of P&G's business. I thought that was just a great story. Yeah. Well, there, there are so many leadership themes in this book, and you're already, both of you, going to many of them, doing the right thing, valuing innovation and R&D, uh, action, speaking louder than words, and, and we could go on and on. But one that's perhaps a bit more nuanced is John's skill at asking the right and critical questions at the right time. He was exceptional at that, and we've, we've already talked a bit about that. But I think it's a skill 
that many PNGers are good at and you two are good at. So I want to ask you, how has that skill served you well in business and life? And how in the world do we help coach that skill in others? You're right about John. Um, another one of my favorite stories in there is uh, when P&G was developing shampoo with conditioner, right? It was new technology. I think it was shortly after we bought Richardson Vicks. You know, the big breakthrough on Pantene was that, um, you know, kind of the, the two-in-one aspect of Pantene. And, um, and there's a story in there where the entire table was filled with men. And then at the end of the table was Seal mm-hmm. Kuzma, who was an associate director in R&D at the time in hair care. And, you know, most of these men probably wash their hair with a bar of ivory <laughs> soap, right? And they're debating the merits of whether this new technology was something valuable. And Snail was smart enough to like the only person in the room here whose opinion on this really matters, whose personal experience on this really matters is Seal Kuzma, most junior person sitting at the table. And he just asked her, what do you think? So it wasn't just the right question. It was also asking the right person too. He was not afraid to dig down a little bit deeper. I mean, I think the story about Janet is an incredible one, right? Janet was, you know, a a low-level person in, in products research at the time. And he built this incredible relationship and, um, and, and moved her into marketing. And it, it was his uncanny ability to spot talent, to find talent, but to ask the right question, but to also ask the right question to the right person too, that I, I think is part of what made him such an extraordinary leader. He gave people a lot of space to talk. He listened a lot, right? You know, better to ask questions and listen than to be going around telling people what to do. And, and that's kind of how he led. Powerful. Janet. Yeah, what, uh, what Chip said, I, I definitely uh, uh, echo. And that is that deep listening piece. And, um, you know, to ask the right question, you have to have done enough homework. You have to have cared enough, you know, to do the homework, to understand the issues and so forth. And he had a way, as we just said, of, of distilling things down to the essence. And when you distill it down to the essence, you can ask the right question because, you know, you know where to focus. Um, but his ability to listen to the answer, even though I'm sure many times he probably had his own answer, but he would subjugate that and listen deeply before taking an action. And I would say one more thing. Uh, Building on what Chip said, you know, and product, he loved innovation. You know, he just loved innovation. And, um, and product development, when, when I first entered, you know, we were there trying to invent new things, all of that. But I don't think we listened to the consumer that much. And John Smale would encourage us to listen deeply to what needs were even if they weren't articulated mm-hmm. and and when you think about you know the history of png uh if you can imagine a focus group you know of, of new mothers 
and somebody sitting there saying, hey, you know, would you like your baby to pee pee on paper? You know, nobody would have thought of that. <laughs> but then comes Pampers, you know, because people listen deeply. And I think he was just uh, very good at that and very good at teaching that. And some of the questions he would ask is, you know, what does the uh, consumer want? You know, what do you think their needs are that they haven't even conceived of yet? And those kinds of things are just traits that, um, you know, I'm sure everyone who was touched by him um, uh, continued to, to do in their own leadership. John said this to me, actually, it was in the book. He felt the primary role, his primary role as CEO was to perpetuate the institution of P&G. And then later GM, which he, as Chip talked about, you know, kind of served on the board in a very rocky time. It's on the surface, that doesn't sound like a terribly inspiring mission or purpose for a CEO to perpetuate the institution. But it's a, when I thought about it, it's a very selfless thought. You know, I am here to keep these special organizations and institutions, P&G, GM, around for the next generation. So, and I remember when I heard him say that at, at an annual meeting, I guess it was, it was early in my career, I just thought, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty deep. So, you're both CEOs. You work with lots of CEOs. Um, what's your reaction to that view of the role of a CEO? Yeah, so it is profound. And, um, you know, it shows his reverence uh, for the company, a recognition of uh, the power and the, uh, the influence that the company has had in the past and wanting that to continue for the future. Um, I think, uh, you know, especially nowadays, people don't necessarily think about uh, the continuance of, of a corporation uh, because it might need to be acquired or you, but, you know, so you think about all those kinds of things. But I think, uh, I think John Smale knew that Procter & Gamble itself, you know, is a force in the communities uh, in which it existed. It's a force in the world. It's mm -hmm. transformational. And those kinds of things made it an exceptional corporation. And for that reason, uh, among many, then continuing it meant that he was a steward for a certain amount of time. But he had to make sure that those that came after him continued being stewards and had all of the uh, leadership uh, uh, capabilities and, uh, and and leadership values to recognize how great and how extraordinary the company is and how they need to continue it as well. And I think that's been the case with subsequent CEOs. As Chip said, you know, everyone has a slightly different personality and so forth. Um, but, you know, if you look at all of them after him, I believe that all of them are likely to have uh, felt or feel the same way, you know, to continue this uh, company. Yeah, it's well said. I also, I was struck by how he felt the same way about GM. I mean, it may seem obvious that P&G is a very special institution, but GM at that time was pretty beaten up. And he still saw that this, this had a special place in the world. And now look at GM. We have Mary Barra. They're pioneering electric vehicles, doing wonderful things for the world. He, in some ways, I think, saw that. 
Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you, you used a critical word there, selflessness. Um, but I think, you know, what, what John recognized was that by thinking about the long-term viability of the institution um, and ensuring that P&G would be around for another 150 years, you know, at the, at the point in time that he was there, it had him you know, focused on the things that would ensure the perpetuation of the institution. You know, so what do you need for an institution to survive for the next 150 years? You need great talent, right? And we've talked a lot about his focus on people and developing talent. You need great leadership, um, you know, so the whole CEO succession, and and there's a lot in there about um, the succession to Ed Arts. Um uh, you need to make investments in the business that are investments, not, you know, you're not worried about the next quarter. You're worried about the next decade. You're worried about the next generation. You're worried about the next century. And so you're willing to put that extra dollar down on Richardson VIX. And you think beyond just the short-term impact and the Wall Street reaction, and, and you're willing to make the bet for the future and the bet for the long term. Um, and so I, I think that's the hallmark of great CEOs. You know, when I joined Levi Strauss 11 years ago, the company was in trouble and in fact, nearly went bankrupt in the early 2000s. Um, the brand was lost. And, and what drove it was a great amount of hubris um, and a lot of short term thinking. And, and you can take great brands, you can take great companies, and they can be destroyed in a matter of years if you take your eye off of that long-term, that, that long-term goal. And now the company's been around for uh, 170 years or so. And I continue to say that a big part of my job is to make sure that we're around for the next 170 years. And, and that frames how I do my job, you know, and how we're going to invest for the long term, regardless of the, the potential short term impacts. Chip, you've had a great and amazing run at Levi's. And I want to I want to read a quote that Janet has in the book. And I'd like her to give some context for it and then have you react to it, Chip. Um, it's a very powerful quote, especially coming from you, Janet. And I'm going to read it for our listeners. John Smale first demonstrated to me the power of thinking differently and fostering inclusion, diversity, and equity. So, Janet, just give us a bit of context for that quote, and uh, and then I'd like Chip to react to that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, prior to people using the now common verbiage about diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, he demonstrated it. So moving me, you know, uh, into marketing was an experiment, as I mentioned before, in thinking style, uh, uh, diversity. But he did that with probably, I think there were maybe 10 or 11 of us who he did the same thing with. And, uh, just to know, again, this was back in the eighties when PNG is moving from product development to marketing or, you know, wherever to manufacturing. That was never done. You know, when wherever you entered is where you left, you know, so um, so this kind of mixing it up um, philosophy that he had um, was really what the what the 
basis of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is about. It's about bringing people who are different in thought, different in uh, life experiences, different in uh, all of those things together for the greater good. But he also worked to make sure that the culture of Procter & Gamble was such that you could hear views that were 180 degrees different than your own, or you could look with different eyes, you know, at a problem that has existed for some time. So, um, Jim, I would say that experiment that he did with me and others, that way of thinking that he had, was the thing that inspired me eventually to leave P&G and start a global company that looks at diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, because John Smale demonstrated that it's good for the business. It, it makes money, uh, but also it's good for communities and it's good for the individual growth of future leaders. So he was my first example of the power of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's another incredible story about how forward-thinking John Smell was. This was back in the early 1980s, right, when, when he did this. And he recognized that the organization was not living up to its fullest potential because it was not diverse enough and, and not just, you know, ethnic diversity and checking the box, but, but as Janet said, you know, diverse ways of thinking, diverse ways of problem solving and, and coming at issues and, um, and then creating the culture and the environment where people from all different backgrounds felt like they could belong and felt like they could be their best self at work. And, and he realized that the company wasn't living at its to its full potential and then took a look at the brand organization and said we've got a homogenous way of thinking a homogenous group of white men mostly at that point in time and um you know most from very very similar educational backgrounds and we got to shake it up and and the impact that that had at P&G was extraordinary and, you know, you and I were, you know, young baby pups at that point in time at P&G and, and, and lived through the evolution of P&G's journey of, you know, really embracing diversity, equity and inclusion. We didn't call it that at that point in time, but, and, and, and seeing the, the impact that it had, you know, and decades before many other companies were even thinking about it or talking about it. And so, um, you know, I think it's another great example of just how forward thinking of a leader he was. And I, I'm sure he had a huge sense of conviction that he was right on this. And I think that, you know, he, he embraced it and went for it. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, fast forward 40 years, a lot of us are still wrestling with it. Right. You know, we still don't have it right in most companies and, and including my own. We're, we're still actively, actively driving uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And for me, the biggest part of it is the cultural impact of it in, inside the organization. You know, I was uh, plucked up as a brand manager to present at the annual meeting and Janet and Chip would know what that means. It was a big formal ritual at P&G. You're at the Coliseum in front of 12,000 people. And 
I was the brand manager. And I think one reason, as I read the book, I thought about this. My brand team back then was an African-American woman, a Korean-American woman, a transfer from finance and a transfer from manufacturing product supply. And, and that team did remarkable things because we thought differently. We tried different things and we, we took a brand that was very healthy when we got it and made it even healthier. And I was plucked out with my team to present at that meeting. And I think that was a reason. The book made me think about that. I hadn't thought about it that way until then. Yeah. And that's how, you know, he's impacted all of us. It's, um, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging was not just what he did. It was who he was. You know, he was just that kind of person. Now, we are recording this show in the Thanksgiving season. So I'd like you to both talk about what you are most grateful to John Smale for. And who wants to volunteer to go first on this one? <laughs> no volunteers. Janet, how about you? You're smiling more than Chip is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the camera angle. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it is no understatement to say the man changed the course of my life. Uh, it's no understatement uh, because those mentoring sessions shape how I thought about business. The connection with John Pepper, uh, he still is uh, a dear friend of mine. We still work together. How he impacted my life is in so many different ways that I can truly say that Whatever leadership good that I may have done uh, in, in my time since PNG is directly attributable to the relationship that he uh, that, that he I will say blessed me with. You know, um, he had there were a lot of smart people at PNG. You know, so he he could have plucked a, a zillion people, um, but I was fortunate that he uh, chose me as one of uh, his people. And uh, I would say most uh, of my life has been, adult life has been spent with the concept that I need to pay back uh, what I was given. And he gave it to me. And, uh, you know, my great hope is that I can uh, do for others, you know, as he did for me and do for other communities as he's done for Cincinnati and, and places around the world. Chip? So, you know, I never worked directly with or for John Smale. Um, but rereading the book a couple of weeks ago, cover to cover, what I am most grateful to John Smale for is his legacy. Um, and he passed his legacy on, as I said earlier, you know, through Ed Arts to John Pepper who I'm also still very, very, you know, close to, to, you know, AG, to, um, you know, Steve Donovan, mm -hmm. who we both worked for for a long time. You know, Smale's impact on those leaders, you know, he transferred his leadership DNA through those leaders and that leadership DNA was passed on to me. I worked at P&G for 28 years and I can say definitively that I would not be the leader that I am today. I would not be the the CEO that I am today, you know, 11 plus years now and still going. Uh, were it not for John Smale's DNA that he passed on to those other 
senior leaders who had a remarkable impact on me. What do you both hope this book will achieve? You know, my hope is that this gets read by people way beyond just the typical P&G audience. I mean, John Smale was an extraordinary leader who was way ahead of his time. And he led by doing the right thing. As I said earlier, he was always focused on doing the right thing, um, the right thing from a business standpoint, the right thing from an organization standpoint. He invested in people. He was willing to give back to the communities where P&G had operations. He was personally very involved and engaged in Cincinnati. Um, he was an extraordinary husband and father. I mean, this was a remarkable human being, not just a great CEO. And it's a great book. And I hope others will read it and, and see that, you know, you can be a great human being and also be really, really successful at work and in life by, by being a good person and by doing the right thing. Um, he's an extraordinary role model and, um, his legacy is incredible, as I said. And, and I think everyone can learn from him and it's an easy read and you'll walk away inspired. I went to his funeral when he passed away several years ago and in a, what, whatever, an 80 or 90 minute service, there was maybe three minutes about his business career that was shared by John Pepper. The rest of it was his children and most importantly, his grandchildren who told stories about his impact on them. Very personal, very funny, and just very, very warm and human. You, you know, and a lot of people never saw that side of him. Which is a great part about the book. Yeah, it shows that. You really do begin to, to, to see his impact and his life beyond P&G. Janet, what do you hope this book will achieve? I hope uh, as well that it can inspire um, up and coming CEOs, inspire leaders uh, outside of business, you know, as well as inside of business. And the reason why is because um, people like him are becoming more rare and, uh, and it needs to be the opposite. So I think were John Smale to wave his wand, then, you know, there would be more people who had the long view. There would be more people who I would say are fully integrated people. The way he was at PNG is the way he was outside of PNG. You know, it's the same man. And, um, and now, you know, uh, pe people are looked up to for things that, um, aren't based in the same values that John Smale taught all of us. And, uh, and I think we're better for leaders like him than, you know, than people who have a shorter term view of things. Um, the other thing I would say is I, I too met his, uh, some of his grandchildren and all, and you can see it come down. And, mm -hmm. and, and often John, uh, John's affect was, more stay, you know, you didn't see him grinning and cheesing and smiling all the time. Um, but when we were one-on-one, -on -one, he would crack me up. You know, he just, he, he, was, had a funny man. he, was. he was a funny man, you know, uh, but, uh, but he was an integrated man. So I think he still had his humor and everything else, 
but he had this focus, you know, when he was dealing with the business or dealing with, um, you know, accountability issues and so forth. So I hope that uh, others can be inspired to be whole people, uh, inspired to have values on a personal level that they also carry into the business, inspired to know that you can do the right thing and it'll work out all right. You know, it's better for your business. All right, we're going to end with a fun question. If this were to be made into a movie, which I think could be kind of very cool, who would play John and who would play Phyllis? I think you should play John. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Chip, thank you for that. I'm very flattered and very honored. I agree. So I'm going to vote for you as well. (laughs) You know, I I think uh, for Phyllis... Um, you know, we're talking about John, but, you know, we're not. She had a great legacy as well. In fact, you know, all of the gardens that you see in front of P&G are, are, are due to her. So um, I don't know a name right off, but I would think that it would be a powerful woman who, together with John, considered themselves co-equals. So whoever that woman is, that's the one I'd vote for. <laughs> I would love to play the role if if it materializes, but my my, my mine is George Clooney, right? <laughs> Cincinnati Heritage, yeah, Cincinnati, <laughs> Cincinnati and, boy, and Julia that's Roberts true. is Phyllis. They have because those two have a charisma together a on screen that is very special, and John and Phyllis did as well. So I'm voting for George Clooney, George Clooney and Julia Roberts. I, I'm happy to produce it, but I think I think George Clooney would do a better okay. job. I, I, would, I would go see that movie. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe it started here. And especially with, especially with uh, George Clooney and Julia Roberts. Thank you, you two. This has been a Thanksgiving gift and a holiday gift for me and all the listeners. So thank you for your generosity and kindness and insight and humanity. Uh, and it's great to see you both, honestly. Great to see you too, Jim and Janet. Great to see you as yeah, well. Yeah, you know, if nothing else, the gift of John Smale has brought uh, me back together with Chip. <laughs> so The legacy so continues. That, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much, Jim. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, Jim. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. That was, for me, my very nostalgic and warm and sentimental discussion with Chip and Janet. Three lessons from this one for your business brand and life. And the first one is John Smale just simply made people feel special. He made everyone he worked with feel special. As I asked both of these leaders, his most enduring impact, it was certainly in how he treated people. And the second takeaway is related to that. He was hugely committed to people and their development and recognizing young talent and pulling them forward. He believed in diversity before it was common language in business. Third takeaway, this man thought long-term and we talk about the importance of thinking long-term. He really did it and he thought not just in quarters or years, he thought in decades. He felt his role as CEO and as a board chair at General Motors was to simply perpetuate those amazing institutions. Bonus takeaway is the book is for sale. It is in the show notes. I highly recommend it. It, As I said in the podcast, it was a very moving book, and I think 
for every ex-PNG or current PNG, but frankly, for anyone who is in a leadership role. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.